Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Yeah. You know, I always ask my clients, do you really want to change? Now, why do I do that? Because with addiction, especially sex addiction, they do want to change but they don't want to change. Um, I learned that early on as a hypnotherapist. I would come, you know, I would have clients come in and they'd say, I hate that I smoke. I want to stop. Can you hypnotize me? And I'd say, well, yeah, but what you need to do is you need to write out a hundred reasons why you want to stop. And they go, a hundred reasons. I'm not going to do a hundred reasons. Are you kidding me? And I say, oh, if you can't even do a hundred reasons why you want to stop smoking, you're not ready to stop. You're looking for that magic wand. You're looking for that magic cure. And although hypnosis can be very effective, it is not the panacea. You have to work hard. You have to do what it takes to um, stop smoking. You know, when I stopped many, 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 many years ago, I, my sister and I stopped together, and we did this thing where we had a, a cassette tape. That's how long ago it was. We had a cassette tape that talked about, I am a non-smoker. And I am no longer going to smoke. And so we would teasingly at least 20 times a day, we would look at each other and we'd say, I am a non-smoker and I no longer want to smoke. 
Now, we were retraining our brain to make that happen. And that is so important. You've got to retrain the brain no matter what is happening in your life, whether you've got a sexual addiction, um, whether you've got an alcohol addiction. I was just talking to a man earlier, and he said that, you know, he knew he needed to grieve. He needed to grieve his diabetes, and he knew he needed to grieve the loss of a child. And I said to him, are you willing to do the hard work? And, you know, he, he had to think about that. That's fair. He didn't say yes. He said, you know, he just thought about it. And then, as we were talking about his addiction, he had had 21 clean days and then broke it and did some pretty intense deal-breaking behaviors. And, you know, I said, you're not ready to change. You aren't. 21 days is that magical number, you know, that will stop a behavior or a habit. And that's true, but it's not, not in the world of addiction. He probably needs a good year before he can say, wow, I'm getting programmed down. I'm getting my structure down. I'm getting up early and reading my books. I'm getting up early and exercising. I'm no longer watching the 7 o'clock news so that I can devote that to my recovery time. People are willing to do what it takes to really um, set up a structure so that you can learn how to manage this addiction. Because if you don't learn how to manage it, it will teach you that it will manage you. And that is a tough situation. Hi, I'm Carol, the coach, and you know me. I wrote Help Her Heal, an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And I wrote Unleashing Your Power, Moving Through the Trauma of Partner Betrayal. And I actually wrote a book for people that don't or haven't necessarily experienced trauma. Uh, It's for self-esteem building, and it's called Transformations. I love disseminating information. I have been down here in Florida for a month, and I have worked on three major projects. One is an empathy certification for clinicians and coaches, and I, myself and Jake Porter are um, going to be doing a four-day training for clinicians and coaches to learn how to move a couple through the intake process all the way to post-traumatic growth. And I'm super excited about that. That has taken, I kid you not, at least four to 500 hours of work. I even created a animation, if you will, on partner betrayal uh, to help the couple really understand what is going on in the partner's brain. Okay, so I've been doing that. I know you probably are wondering, Carol, what have you been doing? Um, the second thing, 
I've been doing and getting ready for this Unleashing Your Power workshop. We are having it this Saturday. And if you want more information, it is $99 for four hours. It is a steal deal. And it's for all partners in any stage of partner betrayal. And you can contact me at carol at carolthecoach.com. Um, we have a couple of spots left, but I I know for me, I don't know about my partner in crime, Christine Turo Shields, but I know for me, um, even though we've limited it to 25 women, we'd go 30, 35, 40. Because um, once you get to that size, it is a training. But we are doing the experiential work. It's going to be so um, enriching, enlightening, and rewarding. So if you've seen my Unleashing Your Power, that is what the workshop is. And it is learning techniques to build your self-esteem and work you through the horrendous trauma of um, partner betrayal. So that's the second thing I've been working on. And last but not least, I am starting my next Help Her Heal group. Starts May 4th. We have two slots open. If you are an addict that wants to improve your relationship and you want to learn more empathy skills and you picked up my book, you've done a little bit of it, but you haven't read it from cover to cover, um, Give me, give me a contact at Carol, carolthecoach.com. I'll send you a flyer, and we'll see if we can get you into that group. Um, just wrapping up a group as I speak, and, I mean, they were just an amazing, amazing group of men. We do a little bit, uh, well, we do a chapter a week. So it's concepts. I have a PowerPoint. But then we talk. We talk about how hard this work is. How do you repair a fractured relationship? How do you contain his or her pain when in reality he or she is pushing you away? You know, what do you do when you say all the right things and they say, that's bullshit, I don't believe you? Well, just know that they want to hear it anyway, even if they're shaking their head, pointing their finger and saying, I don't believe you. So those are the kinds of things that we deal with. And these three projects have been babies of mine this year. I just love, love, love putting it out there, especially that empathy certification. We've got to teach more coaches and clinicians how to do this thing right. And, you know, we're pioneers in the field, so the truth of the matter is clinicians and coaches don't necessarily know about sex addiction or partner betrayal or how to help, especially when the partner's on the floor in the fetal position or the addict is doing really well and slips. And it's not easy work, but it's rewarding. So, again, if you need any information about any of those things, three things, contact me at carol at carolthecoach.com. And today, it's going to be a really interesting show. Um, Gary Owens, who is the male spouse of a female sex addict, has written this book called The Betrayed Husband's Survival Guide. And that guide is a story about his life and how he has helped other men define themselves after he 
work through partner betrayal. And so, you know, he says that there are many different elements of his life that he believes differ from being a female partner because on some level it affects his masculinity. Now, I get that, and I'm thinking about my gay clients, and I'm wondering, you know, does it affect my gay clients' masculinity who have been cheated on by their their gay partners? Well, I would suspect so. I mean, we know that it affects the woman's sense of her sensuality and femininity and uh, attractiveness. So I would think that since masculinity is a big part of uh, one's template, one's sexual identity, one's identity in general, that yes, it would absolutely um, be affected. So today Gary is going to be sharing some of the things that have helped him find himself um, and, and really fine-tune his own recovery as he goes onward on this journey. So I'm excited to be working with him. I love a new good book. I think he was so funny because he sent me an email and he goes, I've sold 48 copies so far. And, you know, I'm, I'm spreading the word because i got to tell you, the men that have been betrayed say there is no information out there. There is no support for male partners. And we got to change that. This happens to everybody. Matters not what your identity, what your gender, what your age, what your race. It just happens to everybody. So I am super excited to be talking with him. Now, I would ask you today, you know, if you're thinking about your life and you're wanting to improve one aspect, this is the coach in me, would you most want to work on a recovery issue or would you most want to work on an issue that does not necessarily tie into recovery? Weight loss, physical activity, social networking, relationship building. What do you want to work on? And, you know, we know that we work with a lot of coaches and clinicians on this show. We have a lot of addicts and their partners. Um, There is not one demographic that this show uh, specifically leans itself towards. So what would your, what would you want to work on? What would your goal be? Because you should always be proactive and think about what the goal is. wonder what that would be. And I'm sure hoping that, you know, as you're working on your recovery, you're also working on those outer circle behaviors so that it's not just the recovery. It's also about your life in general. There is no doubt that, Working on your outer circle behaviors makes you a happier, more fulfilled person. So what might that be, right? 
And that's always a good question. I mean, there's just no doubt that we have to want to actualize our potential as well as to really work diligently on who we want to be and where we want to go in life. And so I am really curious. I mean, this is where I wish we could we could speak because it would be so wonderful if we could get feedback about your own goals. If we could have an interactive conversation, a one-on-one. But the truth of the matter is that pretty difficult to do because so many people, um, they prank a show like this. So I can't do it. And I'd like to, but I can't. Um, if I were on, you know, when I had a, a regular radio show, I had a screener. And we had a button that just shut them off like that. And what I believe is that someday these podcasts will allow us to do that too. Yeah. Now, if we're looking at goals and we're looking at uh, trying to, well, not trying. Did I say trying? I'm not supposed to use the word trying. If I look at what you could do that would actualize your own potential, I would have to ask myself, um, what is the biggest thing that you're uncomfortable with right now? What provides you with the most discomfort? Right? Makes you wish that you were different. And then we look at at chunkable goals. What is it that is actually going to be accomplishable in, in maybe a week or two? You know, and that that's why I'm a real big believer in documenting. Documenting what it is that you need to do on a small level to make you feel successful that actually works you to your goals. So, you know, they say the number one way, the number one way to lose weight is to write it down. When you write it down, you're much more likely to make it happen. Wow, isn't that great? that you're much more likely to make it happen. It doesn't get any better than that. And it's so easy, but let's face it, anybody who's ever been on a diet knows that it really isn't going to happen unless you are disciplined enough to write it down every day. And so, if you were thinking about your goal, what would you break it down to? You know, if you want to go back to school, maybe you would write out a five-point plan on how you could do that. You might do, right? 
Um, maybe that would look like it'd be as simple as I'd interview three schools. I'd make an appointment to go in and talk to the dean. I would put a financial picture together. I would go to the loan officer, something like that. If you wanted to change jobs, that would require that you ask yourself, what do I need to do to change that job? So the truth of the matter is we know that that's a possibility if you're willing to do the hard work of breaking it down, chunking it allows you to live your life to the fullest. Now, do you know your own personality strengths? You know what I'm talking about. Do you know the things that you believe, um, how do I want to say this? They, They actually stand out in a crowd. People say, oh, wow, he's really kind. Oh, she is really bright. He is really driven. She is really maternal. You know, do you know what your strengths are? And if I were to ask you to write down 25, would you be able to do that? There are some very simplistic ways of identifying who you are. And when you've done it enough and you've looked at it enough, then you recognize how how important it is to feed yourself with positive thoughts. Now, how often do you do that? Well, you feed yourself with positive thoughts. You know, words shape attitudes. And the truth of the matter is, that when we, our own internal dialogue, you have to bypass a lot of those cognitive distortions. You know, if you're an addict, that might look like, um, I'm never going to beat this addiction. I'm worthless. I hate myself. I'm nothing. I'm a liar. I'm deceitful. You get the program. What is it that you might say to yourself that really does not work for you? It works against you. And you don't want to use those cognitive distortions because the truth of the matter is when you do, then you feel worse about yourself and then you're not able, you're not able to to be effective, to be driven. And so I want to know, do you use words like try? You know? Do you um, use words like think? Do you, do you think to yourself that you're not worthy because of your past and what you have done? Those are all important questions. 
And if you're going to do that soul-searching work, you've got to know. You've got to know how to make that happen in a different way. You've got to use words that will work for you. You have to change that internal dialogue. If you're a partner listening to this show, you too may have felt unworthy. You too may be questioning questioning yourself, your worthiness, and comparing yourself to something that is not real. Boy, that's the last thing you want to do is compare yourself to something that's not real. And so I'm going to ask you while we're waiting on Gary, who may be taking a nap or something, I don't know. (laughs) We dialogued on Saturday. I know he's got the time. Sometimes our... um, our time zones throw people off. Um, so I'm going to ask you to write down five cognitive distortions that you feel. Do it right now. Type it into your computer. Type it into your phone. Write it on a piece of scrap paper. And that would be five statements that you know bring you down and take you down. I'm going to give you that opportunity. And then what I really believe is we're going to work on turning them around. So do that for me. It's going to give you about 30 seconds. You know, this is a time when you can take a little time for yourself just to reflect. I mean, how often do you get a chance to do that? All right. That gives you time to at least write one or two. And that may be all that it takes, right? Okay, so what are those distortions? Was it something like, I'm a sick person and I hate myself? Well, I would ask you to determine what makes you feel that about yourself, you know? How has it affected your self-esteem when you have those thoughts that I'm a sick person and I hate myself? What does it make you want to do? Probably act out, right? And so when you have the thought, I'm a sick person and I hate myself, I'm going I'm to do a Byron Katie thing with you from the works. I'm going to ask you, is that true? Are you a sick person? Okay, maybe you are. That's fair. You know, sick people get healthy. But what about that I hate myself? 
How is that working for you or against you? You know, the truth of the matter is it doesn't help you to hate yourself. When you hate yourself, you are less likely to be able to pull yourself out of that self-loathing and make good decisions. What you usually do is you get into an auto-exacerbating cycle where you hate yourself and that cycle makes you want to act out and then your acting out confirms that you're really not worth anything. And then when you think you're not worth anything, you think, what the heck, I'm just going to keep acting out. And when you get into that, that very cyclic, dark place, you don't surround yourself with light. You don't surround yourself with happy, joyful people. You, you know, maybe you do because you're putting on a mask, but you really don't take that in. And that's when I say, if I'm doing Byron Katie's work, do you know that to be true? And then I say, do you absolutely know that to be true? Now, again, you may say yes. And then I ask, what would it be? What would it feel like to have the thought that you are a sick person working towards health and that you don't hate yourself, you hate some of the behaviors that you engage in on a daily basis? When you when you really um, look at the negative behaviors, instead of looking at your negative thoughts about you, you're much more likely to change them. And when you change the way you look at things, the things around you change. You end up having more energy. You know, you end up working harder on yourself. Part of that addictive cycle is to really go into that sense of self-loathing so that the addict can exploit you further. So I want you to think about that as you're looking at changing your internal dialogue. And every time you find yourself operating on negativity and or scarcity, I want you to stop yourself. Now, you know, I've talked about this on other shows, but I want you to go through the stop model. And the stop model is when you have a negative thought. And as you have the thought, you close your eyes and you smile. You actually observe yourself smiling to the negative thought. What that immediately does is interrupt that negativity. Then step two is to 
physiologically and physically smile. Smile as big as you can, right? And when you close your eyes and you smile as big as you can, what ends up transpiring is that you feel a different body sensation than you normally would. And imagine that that smile goes from the top of your chin, because you're smiling. I mean, literally, you smile and have it float down to the bottom of your feet. And then as you're having it float down to the bottom of your feet, you practice, if you will, paying attention to how that feels in the body. Now, can you imagine doing that? I know it feels, feels surreal because the truth of the matter is when you're upset, when you don't like yourself, when, when you're thinking negative thoughts, the last thing you want to do is alter that with something that feels incongruent, right? But the truth of the matter is that's exactly what you have to do. And that's why it's called the stop method. I mean, the truth of the matter is that when you're observing how the body feels and you're experiencing that smile flutter, the mind can't feel the self-loathing and a smile at the same time. Okay. First, you stop and notice the negative cognitive distortion. And notice what feeling that brings up. Two is you take three deep breaths and you smile and you imagine that you're allowing that smile physiologically show up on your face and then move it down to your toes. The O is that you're observing how you feel because now you feel different. It's guaranteed it works every time. P stands for you proceed with care, compassion, or kindness. You do something. Even though you don't feel like it, you do something to alter that thought. Okay, you work really hard on that. I'll contact Terry and find out where the heck he is, where he was. We'll have him on again. And you make your life as positive as possible by making the commitment, being truly committed to changing how you feel about yourself, changing how you think, and noticing the difference when you do the hard work of recovery. And maybe next time I'll bring in my 150 recovery statements that automatically make you feel better. You know the drill. The ones like progress, not perfection. Or uh, let go, let God. We will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach.
And you know, as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one, because you absolutely have the power to do that.